Hi guys, this is Laura, and welcome back to Let's Chat Healthcare. Hi Tara, thanks for joining me today on Let's Chat Healthcare. Hi, how are you? Good, I'm doing good this morning. How are you? I'm great, thank you. Awesome. It's the weekend, we're not working. <laughs> oh yeah, that's nice. Well, some weekends I'm working. <laughs> um, so can you kind of introduce yourself and tell us who you are, um, maybe a little bit about your podcast and also your background in healthcare? Okay, well, my name is Tara. I am 44 years old. I am coming up on my 20th year of nursing. Um, wow, congratulations. I, became, <laughs> I <laughs> became a nurse when I was 25, 26, and I was like, I'm so old. I'm the oldest new grad out here, and I'm not. I wasn't. I might be older now, but not the newest new grad, oldest new grad, I should say. Um, I... I always have been in healthcare. So when I was 18, I was a coffee barista for a little while. Retail didn't suit me. I went to work for as uh, answering service. You know, if you work for a private physician, they have an answering service. I did that. I worked in a mm -hmm. laboratory um, processing specimens. That was cute. I immediately mm -hmm. took a class to be a unit assistant, the unit secretary in the hospital. And I got a job um, locally right away from my internship. And I just saw the nurses and I was like, wow, they're so smart. I could never be a nurse, this, that, the other. And then about six months into it, I mean, I was like, they're not all that smart and I could do this. <laughs> so um, went to school. I had at the time fabulous managers. I worked in the operating room after the floor and she worked around my schedule so I could work and go to school. Because as you know, nursing school is just any hours they want to put on you every semester. Uh, at the time, I worked at Kaiser, and I had a forgivable loan. And the person that interviewed me for the forgivable loan was the manager of the intensive care. So she hired me right on. And then I left Kaiser and went to another hospital where um, I was trained in the cardiac cath lab. And... Which, and our cath lab, which I'm still at, it's anything in the arteries or veins that are blocked or need opening up. And we particularly do every service. So we do head, heart, legs, anything that you can think of. We do structural heart, so um, aortic valves through um, the uh, femoral artery. Um, yeah, and I, that's basically what I'm doing now. Um, I have a podcast. It's called She's Gonna Say It. I do it with my best friend. It's nothing to do with nursing. I don't even mention that I'm a nurse on that podcast. I don't know if they can guess or not. I don't really, t I edit out anything that might give it that information. Oh, really? <laughs> uh, we talk about everything social. We talk about, you know, love and everything as a woman in their 40s that we wish our 20 year old self would have known whether our 20 year old self would listen to us or not. Probably not. Um, and then I have another podcast that's not published yet. I want to get five episodes before um, I put it out. It's called Mortality and Morbid. And that's about everything medical, crime, um, the morbid. Uh, I have an episode about um, surgeons and how surgeons have only really been around 100 years, 150 years professionally. Before that, all they did was amputate you while they tied you on the table and guarded the doors because there was no anesthesia. So stuff like that, angels of mercy, and I don't know if you ask me anything else. 
or if that sums no, it up. I think up. that was everything. Sorry, that was a lot of <laughs> questions. But, you know, I'm thinking it's really interesting when you look at medical developments and when they were formed, just like a little side note about the podcast, like it's crazy how recent everything is. Like yes. stroke treatment has like been around for like what? Like I forgot, but it's like 50, 60 years or something. And it's mm-hmm. like, that's crazy how recent everything is. Or even um, if you had a heart attack in the 50s or 60s, you basically died or you were a cardiac cripple and they only started having stents in the 80s. And those That's are crazy. crappy stents we don't use anymore. So, yeah, it develops It's really fast. interesting because my grandpa is a doctor, but he was born in like 1930. So it's really interesting talking to him and hearing about how much things have changed. Well, I even trip out when some of the older doctors tell me how they used to smoke at the nurse's station. I was like, oh, yeah, how is that even possible? (laughs) Especially nowadays for me, like working with kids and all these breathers, it's like, oh, like that would not be a good idea to smoke the station. I wonder. Well, I don't know if they had NICUs back then, but yeah, it's crazy to me what used to happen. I'm sure in 50 years they're going to talk about us the same way. So. That's true. That's interesting. It's interesting to think about like what will change and what they'll be like, wow, they did that. Then that's crazy. (laughs) But um, okay, let's kind of start with the ICU. So the ICU is the intensive care unit. It's where you go. It's pretty much where you go if you're like really sick, like, um, and if you start to get better, but you still need to be in the hospital, you get transferred to another floor. It's kind of where you go after like a super major surgery or like you were saying those examples that you gave. What was it like to be a new grad there and for that to be your first nursing job? How how was that experience for you? Um, it was a really positive experience for me. Um, I think that I had a great advantage because even just being a unit assistant, you learn the ins and outs of the hospital, even for the fact like when I worked in a lab and you just know what color tubes to use to draw blood. Um, I knew a lot of the people up there and they knew me. So it was very welcoming. Um, it was very good training that I don't think that we have nowadays. I mm. did six weeks of didactic at another hospital. So we would do, I would train 40 hours a week. So I would do two days of lecture and the other three days on the floor. So wow. the um, you could put it together. It wasn't like you went for six weeks, just lecture. And then you're like, I have no idea what this is. Um, And I don't see the type of training that I received um, anymore. And I don't know if it's um, in nursing in general, if it's the area that we live in. I just don't see that type of training. Um, What's interesting is that that training isn't regulated. Like it's kind of up to the hospitals and even some hospitals have like a nurse residency program and then like some hospitals don't. And then also like, it's not regulated at all. Like people can come off their training early. Like you don't, sometimes you don't have the option. It's really interesting. Um, how, how was it like with your patients? How was it like, because you worked in the intensive care unit, I'm sure you saw a certain amount of deaths. I'm sure you saw really serious cases, life-changing cases. How, how did that affect you? And how, how were you able to balance seeing those things and also being able to come back for your next shift and continue to be a nurse? I think that's a really good question. Um, One thing that I learned very early on is that you just have to leave it at the door and Mm -hmm. you have to leave whatever's going home at the door too, because we all go through life and 
you know, just for example, say you're breaking up with someone and you're just emotionally a wreck. You have to figure out a way to leave that at the door so you can give the best care to your patients. But you also have to leave what happens at work so you don't bring that home either. Mm. Um, we see a lot of terrible things. Um, I've never had a problem with death in older people that it was their time. Um, I have more of a problem with families that keep their family members alive. And, I, you know, you feel like they're being tortured. And, these, you know, I've had conversations with family members and said, listen, if I do CPR on grandma, I'm just going to break all her bones in order to keep her alive. And that can't feel good. So that's the part that bothers me more. Of course, you get a young person here or there that that dies and that's terrible and it's hard. Um, the hardest things for me is when you know that the person didn't get the care that they should have received and you have no control over that mm-hmm. and you can't really speak like up too much. Like in the hospital? Yeah, we say it all the time. Um, you know, you know, the person perhaps, you know, didn't get what they needed for whatever reason and you, or, um, especially in critical care, their care was delayed for whatever reason. Um, it could be a physician, it could be the staff, it could be, um, staffing demands that we don't have enough staff and where you're running on, you know, the thin staffing and, you know, those type of things don't happen, but they do. And those things are difficult for me. Those were things that were difficult for me to deal with in the ICU. And I would speak up and say something internally, but, you know, you can't go to the family and be like, get a lawyer. You can't do that. Yeah. But you wish you could sometimes. You know what I mean? Yeah. And sometimes you wish you could so it would improve for future people. Like you think that that would help the, like the facility or wherever you're working recognize hey, this might be wrong and we have to change it. But yeah, you're kind of, it's interesting that you say that because you're kind of the middleman between the hospital and the patient and you have like a responsibility to both and balancing that is really difficult. I think it's interesting you brought that up. And what's frustrating is, is when you tell them there's a problem here, that something's going to happen and then nothing happens until that Mm -hmm. thing happens, right? So yeah. And I remember I had kind of a similar experience where I used to be a nurse technician on a, like a, it was a hematology oncology, but also we saw some just like regular med surge patients. And oftentimes they would get sent to rehab or like a nursing home after um, being in the hospital. And we would like give recommendations for like local nursing homes. But like, I would always tell the family um, hey, like go visit the nursing home, go visit the rehab facility before, because like, you don't know what they're like, like some of them, just because of a lack of resources, it's they do not get adequate care. So it's just interesting that being the middleman between the patient and the hospital, I would say my biggest advice for patients that go to the hospital is bring someone with you. Yep. Because even if they're not in healthcare, like, they can watch and advocate for your needs because that's how you're going to get the care you need. I think it's also interesting uh, because I work in the emergency room, you work in, you worked in the ICU. You talked about leaving things at the door. I think it's easy, probably easier for me and the ED sometimes because we send the patients upstairs with like hope and we're like, So it's easy for me to leave things at the door because I'm done taking care of that patient. I'm not going to see them again. 
they're going to the floor. But in the intensive care unit, the ICU, you develop those relationships and you see the same patients day after day. So I could see how that's could get really difficult to leave things at the door when you're coming back to the same patient and you develop these relationships. I mean, or if you have a patient that's difficult, right? Um, And you know, you have to come back and, you know, deal Mm, with difficult family or difficult patient. Usually I find it's the family, you know, you try to be like, okay, they're stressed. This is really probably one of the most stressful things they're going through in their lifetime, but still you're a human being and there's the amount, there's only so much that you can take. So that's why you have to learn to leave it at the door. But I would disagree with you. I mean, emergency rooms see some things that we never see, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. I remember um, some children coming in that had suffocated for whatever reason and the ER staff had a really hard time. So, you know, it's just a different Mm -hmm. environment and I don't think that there's any like worse department. We all have our good and our bad things about what department we work in. Yeah, definitely. And I think it's good that we're all we're all made a little different. So like some of us can handle some things and others can Correct. handle others. But I think it's I, also funny. Oh, sorry. I think it's funny. I was going to say, because I could, I could never work in L&D ever. That's just like. <laughs> oh, me neither. No, that's not for me. Or NICU for me too. I'm like, no NICU for me. <laughs> Those little babies are so scary. Like when they come into the ED, the little two week old, three day olds, I'm like. Yeah. Um. But I think it's interesting that we talked about being the family member that advocates for the patient. And then the next thing we talked about was how, as a nurse, the family can be really frustrating. Mm-hmm. So I just think it's interesting and it's a really fine line and a difficult position to be in, being in the hospital in that stressful environment, because there's such a fine line between, yes, you advocate for your patient, but like you're saying, you also understand that there's other people in the hospital that need care and you have to like add you have to like fairly disperse the resources I don't know it's really interesting and they don't understand and then just some people are just entitled and that's just the world we live in you know Mm -hmm. and they just want everything their way and you just have to deal with it and yeah yeah so where do you work now what department do you work in so I work in um interventional radiology cardiac cath lab neuro IR department. Um, you kind of talked do, about what you do there, right, in the beginning. Um, but can you tell me, like, what types of patients you would see? Like, you would see, like, a patient that has a heart attack, right? So we're on call 24-7. Um, and basically, it's on call for emergencies, such as a heart attack or a stroke or um, perhaps a we call it a dead leg. You know, there's no blood flow going to the leg. It's turning mm-hmm. black. Um because the blood clot stops it. Correct. So basically we're okay. dealing with blockages. That's, that's in simple terms, we're dealing with blockages. But when it's at that point, it's emergent, like it's totally blocked off. We have mm. a lot of elective patients that maybe go to their doctor because I they've been short of breath or, you know, they've been having chest pain and they do an elective catheterization. And we go in there and we might find a blockage that's not 100%. 100% blockage is when it's an emergency and they're like, you know, like on TV, uh, you know, all that stuff. Yeah. Um, but they could just be walking around for weeks at a time um, with a little bit of chest pain here or there, whatever, usually for men, women have different symptoms or, you know, headache, dizziness. And then we go and have a look and they have a severe blockage or maybe their carotid is a severe blockage. And we just go in that day and fix it. We go um, 
pretty amazing. And, you know, we could have someone come in for our eight o'clock case, have a blockage and two or three vessels in their heart and we fix it and they go home by lunch. They don't even stay wow. in the hospital. Um, and it's getting more advanced. We, um, are, we do like carotid stenting, whatever aneurysms. If you have an aneurysm in your head, we can kind of block it off so it doesn't burst. A lot of those are found incidentally with a CT scan, no symptoms. Um, we fix chronic leg issues. Um, we do structural heart, which like I said, is valves or, um, blocking off part of the atrium because it's, um, might develop clot and you could get a stroke. Um, mm. so, you know, wow, technology is getting there and we, we do amazing things down there. I'm like, really, I'm really proud of what, um, we do in the team that I work with, even though we're so close that we fight like brothers, worse than brothers and sisters. <laughs> we fight like crazy because <laughs> we work so much together and we're up all night sometimes and we're crabby, but every, I can't say there's one person that I don't work with that is excellent, not excellent at what they do. So. That's awesome. That's awesome. And like you're saying, you kind of develop such a strong relationship with those people you work with because you're in such an intense situation, just like the ICU or the ER, and you get really close with your coworkers. That's something I like about um, being and in listen, the hospital. And listen, some of us do not get along, and you know, but <laughs> when shit hits the fan, it we all goes to the side. We have our roles. Yes. All <laughs> that goes to the side, and yeah. you know the only goal is that. Yeah, I love that part about it what would you say is the most misunderstood thing about the cath lab what would you say people like misunderstand or when they come in that they um (laughs) it sounds like you know the answer (laughs) the staff or the patients uh can we do both okay so I think for the patients um you know they're scared because they're like oh you're putting something in my heart or you're putting something in my brain and I get it um (laughs) So they're really it's so scared. funny. That I, was such a nurse thing to say. <laughs> You're putting something in my heart and I get it. <laughs> you know, I get it. But and then we're sitting here, la da 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 da, we're listening to music and and sometimes the doctor <laughs> doesn't it's explain your everyday. Thing. And I wish I could just tell them and I tell them all the time. I say, I know you're nervous. I can tell. Some people hold it in really well. Some people are just like, whatever, get it done. Um, but I wish I could we do this all day and it's literally might only take an hour and we'll will be done and you don't have to ever have it done again. It's so simple. When you wake up, you would give them procedural sedation. Um, when you wake up, you know, it's, you're going to be fixed or you'll have other options. Maybe they have to have surgery, but we'll know what the problem is. Once we're done, we'll know what the problem is. It's like the gold standard. Like once we're in there and we can see, we know what the problem is. There's no guessing. Like you're saying it for like us as staff, we often act like pretty casual about it. Like, okay, for example, febrile seizure we get a lot of kids into the ed with febrile seizures they have a seizure because they had a fever they're they usually don't happen more than once like they usually aren't like continued into the lifetime they only happen when they're young but i mean seizures are scary looking and the parents are freaking out and like super scared and we're just like casual like oh like this is just another day like (laughs) but and then i often i have patients come in or family, the parents will ask me like, do you guys like see this very often? Like, how have you ever seen this before? And I'm like, yeah, just like five times a day. (laughs) (laughs) So it's interesting that you say that. And just keeping that mindset, like you said of, hey, this isn't their everyday. This is, but this is our everyday, I think is really important. Can we ask the same question about like, what is something you think patients misunderstand maybe about the ICU when they come up to it or family members maybe? 
a hard one. I, I, I don't know. I just, I really don't know how to answer that question. I think, you know, there's just a lot of expectation. I, I just think there's just mm-hmm. so much going on. Stress. Just there's physical, there's stress, there's psychological. Um, I think one thing would be like, how are you guys laughing at the nurse's station? And it's like, well, if you you don't laugh, you're going to cry. You know what I mean? Oh, it's like yeah. uh, maybe like how can you. So for me, one of my things that I do with my patients that I've done for a long time is, first of all, I assess kind of like I try to teach and some people just don't care. And so my philosophy is whether you think it's wrong or not, is if, you know, I'm not going to waste my breath. So if I have someone over here that wants to learn, then I'll put that time into them. And we can readdress it and try again. But if you're just like, I don't care, you have to figure out who wants to learn and who wants, um, uh, you know, to get the education and make their health their priority because um, your health can't be my priority. Your health has to be your own. There's a lot mm-hmm. of opportunities in ICU. Every patient isn't on a breathing machine not talking. Most of them are not on a breathing machine, but they're still very sick. And then another thing that I do is I don't make everything about um, their sickness. So, for example, when someone's coming in for a heart attack and they're scared, I'll ask them the usual questions. And then I'll be like, oh, hey, or even if it's just a regular procedure for the heart or brain and they're nervous, I'll do, you know, what I have to to teach them. And then I'll be like, oh, well, how many kids do you have? How many grandkids? What do you do for a living? And it distracts them. And everyone's like, why are you talking about this with them? I'm like, because it distracts them and they're not anxious anymore. And Mm -hmm. I can talk and work at the same time. And then a lot of times you actually find out very interesting things about people, you know, or if you get someone that's 80 and I've been married to my wife for 60 years and I'll be like, what's the secret? And or what was your love story? If you just ask the same, you'll get some very interesting answers. So. And I think it helps because it's such a stressful place and such a foreign place. And when you start to have like a normal conversation, they realize that, hey, you're a person, I'm a person, we're going to like figure this out. I think that really helps. Exactly. And I, I think it builds a level of trust too. So, And just to go back to what you said before that too, I think, I think that what you're I don't know, correct me if I'm saying this wrong, but like kind of what you're saying, and I feel this too, is like when patients are motivated to get themselves healthy, when patients are motivated to work on that, it is more inspiring for us versus sometimes it can be really, you can get burnt out trying to care for people that don't care about themselves. So I think that it's, it's, it's hard as a nurse because you want to care for everyone a hundred percent all the time, but it's like, you're going to like, you can do that, but also you can't like work yourself to death where you're going to get burnt out and then you don't care at all. Like you have to have a balance of like, Hey, like I need to keep a certain amount of distance where I'm able to continue doing this three days a week or whatever, however many days a week you do it. But I also want to care. So like, I think every nurse kind of like finds their own balance with that. I think as a nurse, you have to, and it's taken me a long time. You have to set boundaries um, you have to set boundaries with your patients. Um, and you have to also, you know, I I don't know if you're going to talk about this, but COVID really changed healthcare a lot um, the last three years. And a lot of nurses are leaving the field. And, you know, I used to work doubles in the ICU all the time. And then I got pregnant with my youngest and I said, I'm not working doubles anymore. I'm going to be broke and it's fine, but I'm not going to work doubles anymore. And you know what? I'm not broke. I was not broke. 
for not doing doubles and I was happier. Um, you have to set and it's boundaries. It's not sustainable for a system to rely on nurses overworking. And they're like the that, nurses are overworking. That can't be their baseline. The yeah. nurses are overworking. And one thing I, I um I'm happy to talk about is I kind of um last year at this time I went to my mom's house for Thanksgiving. It was what's what year is it? It was twenty twenty one. So kind of we thought COVID was over, but then it wasn't. Um and I even our procedures shut down. We did emergencies. We got COVID patients. You know, I remember getting um, someone disconnected the ventilator of a highly sick COVID patient right in my face, and it splashed in my face before vaccinations. I didn't get it, but I got COVID eventually. But last year around this time, I came back from visiting my mom, and I broke down. I didn't want to go to work the next day. I just couldn't do it. And I called my doctor, and he gave me um, about two months off of work. Um, medicated me, which helped a lot. Um, and over the last year, um, I started therapy and my medications are balanced out and I'm enjoying working again and not dreading going mm-hmm. to work every day of the week or being off on Friday, working on Monday and Friday night, dreading going on Monday. And I think, um, and I'm learning to set boundaries of what I'm going to willing to do and I'm not going to stay over every day. And, um, I talked to my boss about it and told me, I said, I'm going to, you know, be, um, institutionalized if I keep this up. So I have to set these boundaries for myself and let everyone know around me, this is what I'm willing to do. This is not what I'm willing to do. And I think a lot of um, my coworkers and people I see have not achieved that yet or even think it's possible. Um, But rather than me leaving, and I think that as nurses, you do have a gift if you're a good nurse. And giving that gift to the world is, you know, even if I help one person, that's great, but I think a lot of us should be in therapy that aren't <laughs> and take advantage of the system we have. And I have my hospital paying for it through the employee, um, the EAP. So the That's the awesome. options out there. Yeah. So I it, awesome. nurse burnout is real and it can happen really soon. And I see these poor new grads coming in and just watching them burn out so quickly because for whatever, you know, this is just, it's not going to get any better anytime soon, I don't think. And there's not... There's a nursing shortage. There's a shortage of teachers. You know, they don't pay teachers enough to teach. And so we're not going to have enough nurses. So it's a problem that I don't know is going to break anytime soon, but it's going to break eventually. I think those boundaries are really important to set as a nurse. And I don't think that topic is talked about enough in the nursing profession. Like I never heard about it in nursing school, never heard about it during my orientation, but it's why we feel the pressure to stay though is because they need us because of the shortage. Like I work the 12 PM to 12 AM shift in the emergency room. And when I leave at midnight, it's like one of the busiest times of the day. (laughs) And it's like, I feel bad every day leaving because I'm leaving my friends Mm -hmm. in this situation. And it's like, they need me to stay over like almost every day. And it's like, what are those boundaries that I'm going to set where I can come back the next day, but also I feel and like feeling okay, leaving people that you care about in like that situation. It's just, I think those boundary conversations need to happen more. And I think it would be really good for new grad programs to have that as part of their orientation, because I think it would help with the burnout because when you don't have those boundaries and you just start staying every shift and you do those doubles, you're like, that's not sustainable for most people. So 
I think that's really important. And I think that's something that we should spread around is those boundary conversations as nurses. Oh, I tell everybody all the time because I have people come to me. They're like, <laughs> you're so much laid back now and you're being so much nicer. I'm it's like, it's I the meds, double, it's the know. meds, honey. And I don't, <laughs> I don't For work. me, I, as soon as I got off night shift, everyone's like, wow, you're like, actually like nice <laughs> and you like wear makeup <laughs> and I was like yep it's just night shift that was I mean I'm me. definitely in the yoga pants nurse meme <laughs> right now <laughs> you know days off nurse me and can't wait to go to target type oh yeah have coffee, my starbucks four cups of coffee a day <laughs> awesome well I really enjoyed having this conversation thank you so much for chatting with me you're very welcome I enjoyed it too it was really fun to talk about all, I feel like we talked about like the inten intense parts of the hospital, like the ICU, the cath lab, the ED, but I think it's good to talk about these and what it's like working in these units to kind of share that information. And like, if I was someone who went and was going to the cath lab or something, I would want to like hear these conversations and hear about like what it's like and hear from people that work there because I think it would help. Because I think that people are like, oh, you're going to cath lab. And you're like, I don't know what cath lab is. I've never heard of cath lab. What's cath lab? I, I guess I'll go. And then they Google it. <laughs> yeah. And then they go to WebMD. <laughs> I'm sorry. I think we just could have hours and hours of conversation. This Me is too. just the little tip of the iceberg. But yes, I appreciate this conversation. It was super fun. And yeah. I appreciate you having me on here. Thank you. Mm -hmm.